Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Her Story, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Today, I have with me choreographer and founder director of Mateta Dance, Ken Sunny. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ken Sunny. I think I got it right, right? I... <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm really happy to be here with you. How are you? I'm doing well, you know. Today it was like 70 degrees. Well, why don't we get right into it? Speaking of New York City, how did you end up here all the way from South Africa? Yeah, th- that's a really long story. Um, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. Okay. Um, so I I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, and Ooh. I live in a very noisy place. <laughs> I apologize for all of the sound effects that you make. <laughs> you know, there's always sirens in the background of mine. It's fine. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I danced my whole life. Um, and I wanted to attend Albanian American Dance Theatre, the school, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know how it would happen. And so it was like, I kid you not, I had photos of Albanian in my high school locker. <gasps> during, yeah, during each break, I'd open my locker and look at it like a vision board. Mm-hmm. Like one day, I hope. And mm-hmm. I thought that hopefully I could come from like a summer intensive. Um, yeah, and then oddly enough, my senior year of high school, I took this Horton Technique class mm-hmm. and the then director of the ALE, of the ALE BFA program, mm-hmm. Ms. Anne-Marie Forsyth, came to South Africa to teach it. Love Forsyth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just so happens she had been meaning to come to South Africa for years um, and it just never worked out until this specific year. Mm. So I was there and my dance teacher was like, go speak to her, tell her you're interested. And so I did. Um, and to my surprise, she encouraged me to apply. Mm. And she said that um, Alvin Ailey had this partnership with Fordham University where you can do your BFA, you know, where you can get a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I applied for both. I it truly, there are so many details that I'm missing. Certain things like all of a sudden, I, all of a sudden I had to write the SAT. And I was like, what is that? And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I got the book. I, I, I got the textbook three days before. <gasps> it's okay. I made it work. And by made it work, I mean I, like I read through it and I hoped for the best. <laughs> I hope that like my South African schooling would get me as far as I needed to get. Yeah. So, um, I had to apply for Ailey, like a dance video, and I also had to apply for Fordham. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my shock, I got in, mm. you know, the program is incredibly selective. They only select between like 40, around 40 students each year from around the world. Mm-hmm. And so I got in at the time I was, at the time I was at law school at Wits University in South Africa. Um, the South African education system is different. And so law school is undergrad, but yeah. it takes like far longer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I told my parents, they were, they were shook. It was so <laughs> and so to yeah to to make this long story short my I started applying for scholarships anywhere and everywhere to make it a possibility mm-hmm. I got a full scholarship I got a full scholarship so I dropped out of law school after one semester 
And when I was 19 years old, I flew to New York City, um, yeah, to attend the BFA program at Ailey and Fordham. So that's how it started. And it's been almost 10 years now, which is crazy. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's so cool. You know, uh, I feel like a lot of things had to align perfectly for that to happen. And that just goes to show that like, you're where you're supposed to be putting all that work in. And then finally this random time, finally there's this like Horton class and then it's the perfect person. And then you're like, Oh my God. Like, I love that. That's scary. I'm sure it was that scary to move across the world by yourself. It was so scary. (laughs) (laughs) But like, absolutely. What you're saying is so true. So many things had to fall into place and it was, it was a bit of a miracle that it all happened in perfect timing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I like, I had a strong faith. Um, Like, uh, like I had to apply for the student visa, blah, blah, blah. Um, But when we were actually on the flight, my mom flew me up to get. Oh, good, good. Um, But as soon as she went to bed and everyone went to bed, I was just like tears. Like what? What is happening? Oh, I'm sure. Did you know anyone already in New York? No. Oh, that's so, wow. That takes a lot of guts to do. That really does. That takes so much courage. Yeah, looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that was was intense. It truly was. Um, but it was also really nice that my mom like came over. I think she was here for about three weeks or a month to kind of make sure that I was settled in. Good. Yeah. Did you get along well with all of your your fellow Ailey students? I did. Yeah, we got along really well. Um, you know, I just, I definitely have a very different upbringing. Mm. And so there were you know, and there are also cultural differences, but everyone was really sweet. And so in time it all, it was, it was lovely. Were, were there other international students in your year? There were only two. Um, and the other student was from Canada. Wow, Mm -hmm. man. Wow. Well, congrats on all of that. And (laughs) you know I'm just like that's so cool I hope you've been congratulated on that before now because that's so awesome (laughs) (laughs) well you've described Mateta Ah, I keep I hesitate I hesitate and I get a little scared I'm gonna mispronounce it but I think I've got it now Um, (laughs) you've described it as a social justice and activism dance company what does that entail yeah so I wanted to create dance that is um, politically engaged. And by that, I mean, I just wanted, I want the work to be a reflection of the times, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I should tell you what the meaning of the word is now that you've perfected how to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's based on the root word teta, which in my mother tongue, Klasa, means to talk. Mm-hmm. And so the purpose of the company is to speak through movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the mission or like our slogan is that we believe that dance is a medium of social activism and and a way of embodying beauty and joy in motion. 
Mm. And so as long as every project we do kind of encapsulates those things, then we are right on track. That, that's what Matata means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I also think that art should be used as a way of escaping reality at times. So I'm not against that, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I tend to want to delve into things um, that center around injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> that kind of just is where my work comes from. Most of the right. Time. Right. Kind of like a conscious performance, not just a regurgitation of movement. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my dancers will tell you. And the thing is, so talking and conversation is a big part of my process. And so, um, like all of my dancers know, it's a small ensemble of five professional dancers, but we, we start with dialogue. So there's always something that I want to delve into <laughs> and we all speak on it. Um, and it's only after we have had like an in-depth conversation, do we stand up and I start moving. Mm. But from the, from the very first rehearsal until the performance, they know that I constantly, I don't want there to be any empty movement. I always want them to know exactly what they want to convey through mm-hmm. the movement. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that is where the, the meat of the work happens, mm-hmm. you know, because um, when I have a topic at hand, I do research and I journal and I know what it means to me. But when I choreograph, I don't tell them what it means to me because mm-hmm. it's important that they inform the movement with their own experiences. Mm. And so as, at, at least the, in the way that I choreograph, I see it not only as creating the movement, but the second half of that is um, highlighting the artists that I get to work with mm. and encouraging that they inform the movement with what they have to say. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the teta really is like the ground and the mission and everything that we're about. <laughs> yeah, you know that's. I feel like um, choreographers. I, I this is just a blanket statement in general because I'm sure you've experienced this. Um, a lot of times have difficulty releasing their work into the hands of the. Um, dancers interpretation it's hard sometimes especially like specifically in your circumstance when it's something that you have put so much thought into what this means specifically to you and then to be able to say I'm giving this to you now put your own experiences in it without indicating to them what 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 it is contextually for you is is so tough to do and kudos to you for being able to put that in there do you ever sometimes get nervous to set things on on your dancers or do you have full confidence in their ability yeah no i i definitely have full confidence in their ability but i think a lot of that goes into like you know auditioning and picking the right people for right uh, and by right people like that that changes depending on the company um but for me i i pick people who want to inform their movement with meaning (laughs) it's 
sad to discuss this in, in you know, the abstract, but I'll try and make it, uh, to make it more clear what you were just saying about, like, you know, I know exactly what the story means to me. Mm-hmm. Every, even though that is the case, I want the art to be universal. Mm-hmm. And so in order for the art to be universal, I, it needs to not be just about me. Right, <laughs> right. So I, I'm just thinking of one example um i perform the last repertoire that i created booyah was about absence but there was one particular solo that um i made that was about black women right mm-hmm. and uh terry ayana wright performed that piece mm-hmm. and so what it ended up meaning so many different things she's performed it probably 10 times now Mm. but each time it kind of meant something different something slightly different based on what she had just experienced right Um, and I think that that is uh, and there have been times where it's been therapeutic for her when she's Mm. walked off of stage in tears or walked off of stage angry or you know what I mean yeah changes but that visceral feeling of the audience getting to watch um, her be herself mm-hmm. and her express her voice through the movement mm-hmm. what I want and I want it to be authentic which mm-hmm. is why it's necessary for the dancer to have that freedom yeah why why is it so I mean we've kind of been on this subject but why personally for you is it so important for your company members to be more than just performers why why is that so important in your mission with with your with your company yeah so you know i a lot of not a lot of dance but some dance is presentational in the sense that like there is there is a front and we are we're mm-hmm. presenting it and we're kind of putting on a show for you right. and that that is beautiful when it's when it's done well um but on the other side, which is kind of the side that I lean to, is I want it to be really raw. Mm. And so that takes a certain, it, it takes a certain amount of maturity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mo- I think the, char- the top characteristic that I'm looking for in dancers is maturity and openness, right? Mm-hmm. That they're willing to kind of go there um, to be vulnerable and then to put themselves um, to share that side of themselves mm-hmm. on stage. It's always refreshing to watch dance that isn't presentational. And like you said, when it's done well, it's beautiful. And I love presentational dance. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, let me see you do six pirouettes. <laughs> yeah. You know, or I'm like, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I max out at three. So let me see six, you know, like that kind of thing. But then there's only, it gets to a certain point where you're like, okay, is there something else or is this just leaving me wowed, which is fine, but there's also a place for, there needs to be room and space for experiencing dance as an audience member and as a dancer that isn't just, let me see your perfect technique and your best batma <laughs> like yeah yeah absolutely and i am um, you know i i'm the person in the audience who is who is thinking like what are you 
what are you saying to me? Right? And so if the six tongues and the grand batma is, if they're saying something, whatever that is, then it's awesome and it's yeah. great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then sometimes just one turn is, says everything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's more about like the texture and the quality of mm -hmm. the movement. Absolutely. And that's what, we, that's what I inform. Yeah. So why, with your training, have you decided to go into choreography instead of performing as a dancer? Such a great question. Um, I, you know what, actually at the Ailey School, I started to realize that I had a gift in choreography because each year they would have choreography festivals for the students. And so you would create, you would first of all, ask your peers if anybody wanted to be in your piece, <laughs> you choreograph something, you would hope to get into the festival and then it would be showcased together with everybody else's or, you know, the select students. Mm -hmm. So I did that one year. And then after that year, students started to come to me and be like, so can I be in your work? <laughs> oh my God, that's fun. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and then teachers started to take notice. And mm. so in my senior year um, at Ailey, so it is a, it's a BFA degree in dance, but concentrated in performance, right? Mm -hmm. But they have, they have this um, kind of elective called independent study in choreography. Mm. And you have to go through a rigorous audition process because they only pick between two to four students Whoa. to do like a 30 minute production yeah and so I went through that process and I got selected and so I created my very first repertoire um which was just it was so cool to get to put on yeah whole production um it was called community spirit mm. and so after that happened it was like a few months before graduation. So we're about to leave and dance teachers are coming up to everyone and being like, have you thought about this company or have you thought about that company? And my, my instructors asked me, when are you gonna start your own company? Mm. And I was like, oh. And I, I guess at the time I wasn't really ready to receive it because I was fixated on, I've come here to be a dancer. Mm. So I'm going to be a full-time dancer mm -hmm. at least for a while. Um, and so it, it definitely like raised a, a good flag. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, after school, I started one of my first dance jobs, which is actually where I met Tyler Clark, mm -hmm. who is now in my company and the marketing manager. Um, and it was an incredible experience, but she she is one of those, she is a friend who, will, who reminds me that even <laughs> at the time, I was totally a choreographer because I was more concerned with what story was being told than I was with the steps. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, and it's true, it's true. I was so happy dancing, but mm. I, I, oh my gosh, I was always invested in what story is being told and you know concert dance it puts it puts stories on a platform and it celebrates a culture mm -hmm. and so my question is well what culture is being celebrated mm -hmm. and this is the reason why I 
why it was my dream to come to Albanini because the legend of who Albanini is, is the mastery in his work is not only that he was able to create a company for African-American dancers to be represented on stage, mm. but layered to that is he created the work that he created, Revelations, you know, mm. and many of his other works, it represented African-American life on stage. Mm. And so, and that is revolutionary because yeah. now you're not just talking about a black body on a stage. You're talking about kids and families who get to go to city center every season, right? Mm. And get to sit there and get to see their life celebrated mm. on a concert dance stage. Mm -hmm. Each really beautiful thing as opposed to little black boys and girls going to watch one lake. Do you get what I mean? Exactly. To them, it's like, oh, this is what we do at church. And it's on a stage and I can be a dancer and it can be connected to our lives. Mm. That is the kind of art, that's the kind of choreography that I aim to create. Right. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it, it is truly, again, connected to my voice, but it's more about like, whose stories are mm -hmm. being told. And right. I felt like in the world of concert dance, more stories of other cultures need to be represented. Absolutely. And in a way that it sounds like you're, the way that you choreograph and the way that you set things on your dancers and allowing them to bring in their own experience, it's not just presenting one side of even like one culture where I feel like there's a lot of room for personal attachment from the audience as well because there's a lot of things even in watching revelations i am obviously not a black woman but i in the way that that piece is choreographed it brings people in to it to not not in an assimilating way but in an experience way where you where you feel Per, where I feel personally, whenever I've watched this piece, both in video and in person, it's something where it's a very impactful story that I feel connected to, not through my personal experiences, obviously, but there are moments of emotion that come through that you just latch, you just latch on to that aspect. And that is the genius in that type of choreography where it's not just focusing on telling this sort of arbitrary story like Swan Lake, where it's a storybook story and it's kind of, it's beautiful. And that's one of my favorite ballets, but it's just, there's not a whole lot of, I don't know, ability to translate that to lots of life experiences where in Ailey's choreography and in choreography that allows people to be let into this other culture that that they don't know about there's something so special and unique about that yes yes <laughs> you brought up so many great points i think um one thing is you know art that is ethereal versus art that is relatable mm -hmm. right and so i i had said earlier that like we need all of it. We need mm. all of the forms of art. And definitely there's some dance where you go and you can 
you just, it helps you to escape reality, right? So even Alvin Ailey, he created Night Creature, which is one of my favorites. And it's about these birds. And I love it because it's set to jazz and I'm, I'm a jazz fan. But anyway, like you need that. You need to be able to escape into ethereal art mm. and like fantasy. Mm. But also we need the work that is relatable. And I think to that point of relatable art, there is, a, there is also an aspect of cultural exchange mm-hmm. that all different yes. cultures need to be represented so that we can all be exposed to different cultures mm-hmm. so that we can value different cultures. Absolutely. But when it comes to representation, truly, when, when a culture isn't represented, then we just don't think about it, acknowledge it, or value it, which is, which is an issue. No, absolutely. Like, it's, that's something that, that is so, I mean, I, I already said it and I'm going to say it again. It's so unique and it's so special when choreographers are able to create that type of environment to showcase their culture and what that means to them while simultaneously inviting people in and, and, and making it making the audience part of it, whether or not that means like breaking the fourth wall or whatever, like an actual, when you leave the space, when you leave the theater, you're like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do something now. I don't know what it is, but I have to do something. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, And when we speak about art as activism, that that's what, you know, that's the definition of activism. It's a call to action. Mm. And so, I, oh, that truly is the definition of success as a choreographer for me, that if someone can leave my work feeling compelled to go find out more mm. about, about whatever the topic was, whether mm. that was, whether it's a topic about women, about black, about black, the black experience, either here in America or universally, <laughs> whether <laughs> it is the experience of immigrants. Um, but if it is both beautiful, but also is, intriguing enough that you leave the theater Mm. going oh let me find out more Mm -hmm. that right there (laughs) is shine (laughs) (laughs) yeah my nickname is sunny and so like shine is a thing and so Mm -hmm. in my in my company instead of us saying like good luck or whatever like before dancers go on to stage I say shine oh Yeah, yeah yeah That's so fun. That's much better than um, Mared, which is... Which is, yes, it yeah. is it's the norm. And my question is why? <laughs> I, I worked with a theater company forever where we, before we would go on in the, in the dressing room, we would do um, what was called the don't suck chant and we would just like start chanting don't suck and some people would be like don't suck don't suck and everyone's like don't suck don't it's hysterical (laughs) but it puts you in a good mood like you're ready to go do stuff (laughs) whatever you need to do oh my goodness yeah how did COVID-19 affect your fall season Oh, so, you know, we, we have this festival called Speak Through Movement, and um, 
It's a festival that we put on, well, that we hope to put on every year. The, the, an all-girl one was in 2019. Um, and what we do is we invite a female choreographer to partner with us for a split, for a split bowl program. Mm. And um, yeah, the first one was at Judson Memorial Church. Um, and it was to a sold out audience, which was really fantastic. Amazing. So that was something that we, we really wanted to have again this year. But unfortunately, yeah. like, like the rest of the dance world and the performance <laughs> art world, we're all like holding our breath to see, you know, what COVID-19 means for our industry. But if we like get beyond this precipice of, the, of quarantine, then we definitely would love to make that happen if it's, if it's possible, probably, hopefully next year. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. We're get, no, we're gonna put it out there that it will happen <laughs> next year. It's out in the universe now. It'll happen. <laughs> Are there any recent active, mm, wrong word, are there any recent campaigns that the company has been able to execute along the lines of your activism? Yes. So this I'm so excited to speak about. Um, we founded um, and launched the campaign um, Move for Black Lives. And so this was a online campaign and basically Basically, we aimed to use dance as a form of protest. And so I'll tell you exactly how it worked, but it ended up being so much bigger than we thought it would be. So <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, the campaign started on Juneteenth and it ran for five weeks. So basically, we encouraged our Instagram users to make donations um, in, of any amount um, in support of BLM organizations and bailout funds. Um, and the way that they could do that using dance as a form of protest is we asked them to go to our bio um, and we had a word bank. So donors had to select a word, a, a word of their choosing um, and, and put that in, in their payment. And then what we did was we connected with professional dancers around the world and whichever dancer, um, whichever dancer wanted to work with that word, they choreographed, well, they improvised movement inspired by that word. Mm -hmm. And then they sent us the footage, we edited it, we posted it on our Instagram page and tagged the professional dancer and the donor to say thank you so much for using art as activism. Mm, I love it. That's so oh. unique. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so it, it's like a simple idea. Um, but what ended up happening was, you know, we started with 25 professional dancers in mind. And as, as the ball started to roll, like we had such a great launch on Juneteenth. And then so many people donated. We were like, oh, we can't post everything today because that, that would be madness. <laughs> so we, had to, like, pay, we had to pace it out. And so we would, um, we would post the word in our story and tag the donor and then 24 hours later their their dance film would be you know posted um and so like we average on average we we posted about two videos a day and as this was happening dancers started to message us so tyler clark who is our marketing manager she she was like oh these professional dancers are DMing us because they want to be a part of the campaign. 
Um, <laughs> that, that was amazing. And yeah. it was, also, yeah, it was also really mind blowing because these, these dancers are from companies of the highest caliber. Like we, we have dancers from Abraham in Motion, Ailey Two, Avonelli, American Dance Theater, of course. O.T. Jones, Camille Brown and Dancers, um, Dance Theater of Harlem, Parsons, like the list goes on. And also from Broadway shows like The Lion King and My Fair Lady. So it was just like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it truly became international because we had dancers, you know, record in cities around the world. Uh, we, had pe we had dancers from Madrid, Paris, London, of course, Johannesburg, mm -hmm. um, all around the States, um, and even Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Mm. So it, wow. It, right? <laughs> <laughs> it like, our two goals were to, we wanted to fundraise in support of the movement, mm -hmm. in support of Black Lives Matter, number one. And secondly, we wanted to connect. And so we were able to connect all of these dancers, um, all of these dance fans, and allies around the world who wanted to, you know, creatively keep supporting the movement. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's amazing. It must have been, I mean, you said it, it took off in a way you didn't anticipate. I hate to put quote unquote selfish words into, into the idea, but did it feel kind of a little validating to be like okay what we're doing is is working we're doing the right thing here yeah yeah um <laughs> of course it felt like it it truly felt like we got to be a part of something really special good yeah and in terms of it being right for us it, it totally was because it's in line with our mission it's using mm. activism and I, we were just so grateful that we got to use our craft in this way yeah. because of course all three of us I, i'm speaking about the executive the executive team in particular um are engaged and we wanted to be out there and to be supporting in every way and we thought it was important for us to embody that with our art mm -hmm. yeah and to that point this was also a perfect project for us and i i think the reason why it stood out um, is not only because of the quality of dancing, but also because of the way in which it was curated. The, the company manager, Terry Ayana Wright, mm -hmm. is actually, um, she's a graduate student at the School of Design and Technology at Parsons. Oh. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, with the concentration in dance and visual effects. So <laughs> this was the perfect project. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because she was able to, you know, apply all of her skill to edit all of the all of the footage that each dancer sent to us. And the goal was to edit it down to one minute each per post. That was too difficult for some. For <laughs> <laughs> some of them, she was like, "Ken, I can't, I can't, I can't edit it more. It's at three minutes, and all of it is just too." Long. <laughs> so I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> um, but you know, she was able to. The two of us worked on selecting the right music for each piece, but she really picked the right visual effects for mm -hmm. each da dance film mm -hmm. in order to encapsulate the spirit of the donor's word. Mm. And so I think it, I think it was truly special because every single part, um, every single part of every video was so mindfully 
um, treated, you know, mm. like each decision was really careful because we wanted to present the dancers movement in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you were in law school again, you're back in law school, <laughs> which is really awesome, which like I already said, awesome. I think you're awesome. Anyway, so what is, what is it about practicing law that excites you? Oh, good question. Um, you know, I have just finished my first year of law school. And so that, that has been the question from the first day. And I think that it's probably one that I will, I'll keep investigating until I graduate. But um, I kind of thought that I would be also, just a catch, I can't practice law until I pass the bar, but in terms of studying, <laughs> in terms of studying law, um, I thought that I would be a transactional lawyer upon graduation, but very similarly to my choreography, I had an experience where I realized that using my voice is really the most important thing. And so I, that experience was just doing, um, there's this thing called the Moot Court Honor Society. Um, it's like a public speaking competition that you audition to get into. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad because I recently found out that I, I got an invite. In auditioning, leading, the whole point is you're meant to present an argument to advocate for your client, right? Mm -hmm. And in doing that, it just felt so right. It felt like, oh, yeah, again, I'm advocating. <laughs> of course, this is, this is what I, there's a reason why I've been drawn to law school mm -hmm. twice now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess to make this make sense for the listeners, when I, when I pursued law in South Africa, I was straight out of high school. And like, you don't really know what you want to do. I knew that I wanted to dance and do law school. But when <laughs> I ended up, when I ended up at this, it just felt like I was doing the wrong thing first, right? Mm. So I was just like, oh, no, I really need to be dancing right now while I'm young. <laughs> and so when I got the opportunity to come to the Ailey School, to train at the Ailey School, it was a no-brainer. It was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. Mm -hmm. uh, but I knew, and I'm glad I did that one semester at law school because it made me realize that, oh, this is also pretty cool. And I want to come back here. I want to do this, just not now, later mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so now that I'm back, the thing that excites me is using my voice. <laughs> and I, <laughs> we've spoken about this, but it, I think it's the thing that marries. I, I know it's strange that I have these two different passions, but at the core of it, it's using my voice to advocate. Mm. Right? And whether that is through movement or whether that is through litigation, um, I feel like I'm in the right place. Mm. Yeah. You know, it sounds uh, pretty on brand for you. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it really sounds like based on solely the mission of your dance company, that it's a natural step to be in law school. And it doesn't like on paper makes sense but when you really look at the base of it you're like yeah yeah, yeah no that makes sense, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> how have um the covid restrictions affected your status as an international student oh interesting well you know 
President Trump um, <laughs> made that announcement that the ICE policies would change a few weeks ago. And so international students whose schools would be completely online for the fall um, mm -hmm. had to go home. At least at the time, that was what was demanded. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> I think that sums up how I felt. Yeah. Like, Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And so it it's it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thankfully now international students don't have far. It was just very disconcerting. You know, it just feels but these are the times that we live in. Everything feels very uncertain. Mm. And it's just another level. It's just unfair that I had to think about, you know, mm. having to move my life home yeah move. especially when you've been here long enough for i mean i don't even want to say long enough because there's there's no there shouldn't be quantifying in when something is your new home but like you've been here a decade like you know what what a strange then requirement where you're like wait because i am actively bettering myself and the community and because of a pandemic now i have to go home like to to my home country but this is my home like that's such a i can't even imagine that that feeling yeah yeah i think at the base of it it's you know the conversation of how do you view immigrants like do you view them as people who have come to the country to take or do you view them as people who have come to america to add value mm -hmm. right and so mm -hmm. you know that is another conversation in itself and there are definitely nuances mm -hmm. um but, but as someone who has you know applied for numerous visas and thank god has gotten each one for each season of my life um you know, when you comply with all of the laws, then it, mm -hmm. it's okay for the system to change in a moment and say, no, even though you did everything right, you need to go home now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I didn't even like make that specific connection. Like you've literally done every single part of the process required, of the required process. And then all of a sudden they're like pulling out the rug from you. Well, I'm really happy to hear that that has been um, changed <laughs> because, man, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever doubt yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, thank, thank God, I, like I don't doubt myself often, but it definitely happens. Um, and you know, I have a unique path, so I think Part of it is I don't necessarily have someone who I can point to um, mm. as having pursued both a law career and <laughs> and a choreography career, right? So mm. a lot of this, I am kind of pioneering my own path. And I think what helps me to not doubt myself um, as much as I could is patience and also defining what success is to me. Mm -hmm. and not allowing the world to define that for me mm -hmm. you know because i think a lot of the frustration that we all deal with and a lot of the doubt that we all experience is because we compare ourselves to everyone else mm -hmm. 
And so when you, when you don't, it's incredibly, <laughs> it's incredibly freeing. Yeah. Um, but as it, as it pertains to my story, I think, of course, with the law career, it's all very regimented, incredibly structured. But in terms of my career as a choreographer, I, I'm not under the time crunch that, that dancers are under. Mm-hmm. Like as a dancer, you really want to make it young. You know, you want to have, per se, um, offers to, to be a full-time dancer. But like, I would even push back against that because there are professional dancers who have other careers and yeah. are in packing companies in the evening. Mm-hmm. So I think just like allowing yourself to think outside of the box um, is incredibly helpful. And for me as a choreographer, like the lifespan of this company, I, dance has always been a part of my life. And mm-hmm. I, I know that Mateta is, a, it's something that I want to always pour into Mm-hmm. and so I'm just really I'm always really grateful to work with the with the beautiful dancers I get to work with mm-hmm. and I'm always excited about you know where this company will go because I don't have any fixed expectations of what needs to happen and when it needs to happen it's mm-hmm. more this is a beautiful thing we've created and if we just continue to put in the work and care for it mm-hmm. we'll grow mm-hmm. yeah you know you can only you only control of the work you do you're not a lot of this stuff is mm-hmm. out of your control like mm-hmm. just being ready for opportunities is is what you can is what you can be certain of and mm-hmm. then the opportunities hit and you're ready when the opportunities come and you're ready it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. absolutely <laughs> do you have a support system that you can turn to when you're questioning yourself i do i am really lucky that i I've been able to cultivate really strong friendships over the past. I, I've almost been here in, in New York for 10 years. Um, <laughs> so that's a long time. And some of the friends I have, I've, I've known for almost, almost nine. Like, but I have a really strong, close-knit group of friends. And they are people who, gosh, friendships are so important because when you do doubt yourself, um, and you don't remember why you're qualified to do the work that you do, your friends know. Your friends can remind <laughs> you. <laughs> you know? Your friends remind you of why you're amazing and wonderful um, when you forget. And I've definitely had moments <laughs> where I think, like, oh, like I'm very nervous about this. Um, and my friends are, I tend to attract strong um, passionate women as friends <laughs> so they they sometimes are not the most gentle but I've, definitely had, <laughs> I've had friends like scream like Ken you don't have time for this <laughs> like you've done this so many times let me tell you because I was there <laughs> you did it in this situation and you did it in this situation so how is this different and then I you know all of my doubts have to like run away because yeah. they're right <laughs> You know, those are, I feel like those are the best kind of friendships to have though. Cause like I'm somebody, I need to be kept in check all the time, you know, not necessarily like keep my ego in check, but keep my like over commitment in check. I'm like, yeah, I can do, I'll be on that community. Yeah. I'll teach that. Yeah. I'll totally, I'll write that for you. <laughs> and then someone's like, you got to stop. You can't. 
you can't yeah. do that. <laughs> and the friends who have been with you for a while, they know your patterns. Mm-hmm. So they can be like, hmm, never. <laughs> I feel like what's happening right now is what happened a year ago. Remember that time when you did too much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just avoid that this time. <laughs> Maybe just try and balance your life. <laughs> It's like maybe, oh man, yeah, they're like, they're like, no, yeah, that that happened before. It didn't turn out well, did it? No, it didn't. They have proof, and that's very hard to argue with. It's like, okay, you're right. We've kind of touched on it earlier when we were talking about you being in law school and why you're in it, but what do you hope to achieve? when you finally walk across the stage with that law degree. And it's totally okay if you don't have an answer. No, I I do. Um, I I guess I'm just very open right Mm -hmm. now as to what the future could look like so I don't have a set Mm. thing in mind. My my interest areas are I am interested in practicing uh, human rights law. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm also interested in business immigration, right? Mm. So, I, you know, I've already gone through the visa process so many times for myself. Why not help other people? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, right now, while I'm in school, the goal is just to learn, the goal is to just learn as much as possible. Mm. Um, and then, and then we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, do you think that that idea, the openness of being ready for anything, the, the idea of wanting to be in human rights law, do you think that has shaped um, the way in which you created Mateta and everything that it stands for? I think that, I think that my two careers will definitely inform each other in the future mm-hmm. but but for now I see them as really distinct mm-hmm. um yeah especially because I founded Mateta in 2017 before mm-hmm. law school began right, right you know so it is you know I I am a character in my own right and I think that that has been just a, a really lovely thing what, what comes to mind is during my first semester of law school, I was, um, I was a choreography director at NYU mm-hmm. for their graduate acting program. Ooh. And so I would I'd run from class to NYU to choreograph. And it, it, was, it was such a great project. Um, they had, they had to base, it had to be a South African story. That was the, that was the project. It was really lovely working with actors because, we, as you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm most interested in the story that you're going to tell. Mm. And so that was great. But, you know, as a choreographer, I, um, I'm, although I am still young in my career, I'm established at, in my role. Mm. And that comes with a lot of security and confidence mm-hmm. versus in law and just standing out right and uh-huh. so it's the opposite like yeah. I'm, I'm finding my feet here <laughs> no, no one knows how to be a lawyer until they go to law school <laughs> and so and the, fir- the first year is just finding your feet and then second year you start to know what your interest areas are 
Mm -hmm. so that by third year you know exactly what direction you're going in yeah it's important to me to keep them separate right um, just because I do each thing in my own right mm -hmm. yeah was it to... was it refreshing like at, after getting out of of class out of uh class in law school and then running over to NYU let me rephrase this after getting out of class of something that you are just finding your feet in and then running to NYU and knowing exactly what you're doing and exactly everything that needed to happen. Was that important for your sanity during that time? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was, it really was. I don't know if it was the wisest thing in terms of, you know, study time, maybe I should have been studying 24 seven. You know, to your point of trying to be a balanced human being, it was really perfect. Um, it was like a great release and definitely after sitting, you know, after sitting down for hours and like either having so much information come at me or mm -hmm. processing all of that information and reading for hours and hours, mm -hmm. it was so nice to go to a creative space. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. because, like these are the people that I connect with so easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, when I find, when I find as I explore my interests in law, I'm going to find those people too. Mm -hmm. But it was definitely comforting to go <laughs> to that space. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and take charge of the room and direct and help these actors who are so excited to dance and to mm -hmm. move, like teach them how to dance. Mm -hmm. So that they went from like, oh no, I really, I can't do this. <laughs> to, oh, wow oh, this is just another form of expression that mm -hmm. I do in my acting career. That was really um, heartwarming for me and incredibly satisfying. Mm. Are there any professors that you have um, in school right now that are inspiring you or ones that you know you really want to take their class next year or next semester, this semester? Wow, when are we? I don't even know. When are we? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. For the fourth semester, I'm on this human rights clinic um, under a professor who is incredibly inspiring. And so I'll get to work with her one-on-one, um, -on -one, which I'm super excited about. But really, all of the classes are really fascinating. Um, there's an, there's, and, then, and then for some, it's just the professor who I really want to learn from. For example, we have this one... <laughs> She, she's a newer professor, but she spent some time in South Africa practicing um, at the Constitutional Court. So wow. I'm like, oh, I really, really want to get to know you, you know, yeah. and learn from you. That's so, so cool. Is it a little different finding inspirations in these types of academic environments instead of strictly creative environments? I, I think sometimes. You know, these are these are textbooks. So mm -hmm. some sometimes it is like where when you gosh, I just did property and so learning about redlining the systems in this country when we speak about institutional racism, how the system of housing has been set up in a way that determines that African that African American people end up in poorer neighborhoods, that's a reality and it was designed that way. Mm -hmm. So to me, to me, of course, because 
I, I want to advocate I want, I want to advocate for everybody who is discriminated against. And uh, in, in that way, I, as I shared with you as an artist, I want to create work that is about the injustice in the world. So I guess seeing it in a very, in a black and white way mm-hmm. is very helpful because it just means that I am a more informed artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That was a really good answer. (laughs) That was a really good answer. So before we get to our last two questions, is there anything else that you would like to add, how we can follow you and your company or anything that we didn't touch on? Um, Well, definitely, please follow us. If you are (laughs) a dance fan, Um, you know, the style of my company is an Afro-modern storytelling dance company, but, um, especially with the Move for Black Lives campaign, we attracted, we collaborated with dancers of varying styles. So if you want to go check that out, by the end, we um, produced 67 dance films. And um, yeah, 67. That's so many. (laughs) Truly. And we collaborated with 52 freelance and professional dancers from around the world. So yeah, if you would like to check that out, please visit our, please follow our Mateta dance page. It's at Mateta, M-A-T-H-E-T-A, dance or dance.com. <laughs> Sorry, not .com. <laughs> um, and then you can, and then you can also go onto our website um, if you'd like to check out our projects coming up. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I guess one thing that I forgot to mention is from Move for Black Lives. Um, We were able to support um, the official GoFundMe of Elijah McLean. Mm. And we were also able to contribute to the Say Her Name campaign, which is a campaign that was founded by the African American Policy Forum, which brings awareness to the often invisible names and stories of black women and girls who have been victimized by police brutality. So that's amazing. go Go check them out too. Mm, absolutely absolutely and uh you guys were able to raise a good chunk of change right yeah yeah we were able to raise just over 2k that's Um, so awesome i love that yeah it was super cool to have done over such a short period of time Mm -hmm. yeah amazing well i ask the same last two questions to everyone that comes through the podcast first what is your second favorite color my second favorite color is, can I tell you my first? So is that against the rules? You can tell me your first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my favorite color is red. I guess it just stands for passion for me. Mm. Uh, but my second favorite is emerald green. Emerald um, green. Yeah. And apparently, uh, apparently, like, the meaning of emerald green is, like, balance. Hmm. So, yeah, I just... I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it kind of a nice balance between the vibrant red and then just kind of a more soothing green? Harmonious, yeah. Mm-hmm. And lastly, what, in your opinion, is the best part of being a woman? What a beautiful question. Yeah, I had to think about this one for a while <laughs> because because I love being a woman and there are so many great reasons for it but I I guess I want to highlight 
friendships, mm. actually. Yeah, I think that women, I think that we just, not to compare to men, and <laughs> disclaimer that a lot of men do know how to cultivate, you know, strong friendships. But I do think that women just are, know how to do life together, mm. you know, on the daily. I think mm-hmm. that's the distinction. Instead of just like showing up to like help you move or like when you <laughs> and and that's also very helpful. You need those friends to help you move in New York City. That is not an easy task. <laughs> but, um, just, I guess showing up and caring about each other's emotional well-being. Mm. That to me is the definition of friendship. And you know, I have friends where we see each other maybe once every two months because mm. you know. Queens and Brooklyn, although they are side by side, it takes almost 90 minutes to get from one side to the other. It's the worst. worst. (laughs) (laughs) But I think all of these friendships, like, there are definitely seasons for different friendships, but for Mm. people where we kind of ebb and flow out of each other's lives, when we do reconnect, it's like we pick up from where we left off. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so just just having women who are, strong and passionate around me has always inspired me and I've always had friends who I find inspiring so Mm -hmm. that that truly has helped me especially because I moved here without family Mm -hmm. when I was 19 I look back thinking like how did (laughs) how did this like work it's because I had such a great support system I had incredible women surrounding me Mm. I love that that's so, that's so true, especially, especially saying you, you have the, the friends that you can just pick up with when you, uh, I mean, I, I have a friend, wow, we've been friends for 20 years and we could go a couple months without talking, but not intentionally, just life, you know, and she lives in Texas. I live here and, but, and we see each other maybe twice a year, if that, sometimes it's just once. And um, it's like no time has passed every single time. It just picks up. And I, and I think that is a unique quality in women. Uh, men have it too. But specifically women, because we can tap into our emotions much easier and much faster, it's easy to find that feeling that you had the last time you saw them just at the drop of a hat. Absolutely. And I I think that what you just brought up is a key part of it, just being able to articulate your feelings, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that men sometimes don't have the privilege of doing. Mm -hmm. And I think because we, as women, like we make space for each other to Mm -hmm. speak about our feelings, Mm -hmm. um, it means that not only do we get to be, I think, like that is obviously helpful for just your overall your overall well-being um but it also means that we get to know each other very deeply Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well thank you so much for joining us today Kinsani you are the type of person that is born to lead and I can't wait to see the impact that you will undoubtedly make thank you so (laughs) much that's incredibly sweet to say of of course so (laughs) no you will you have to put it out in the universe (laughs) yes you will will. i'll put it in in my school locker there you go (laughs) (laughs) oh man 
And thank you listeners for tuning in again. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so that our show can continue to grow and more and more people can be inspired by the incredible women that we get to talk to every week. Visit our website at ofherstory.com. Follow us on the social medias, Twitter at the Her Story Pod and Instagram at Women of Her Story Podcast. Until next week, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. This is a New York Glitch production. You are the worst. (laughs)